Uh, so tonight, we are going to uh, continue on. Last week, Pastor Mark talked about why the church is important and looked at a biblical perspective on why the church is important. And so tonight, we're going to continue on in that conversation, and we're going to be looking at the same question, but in a different light. And so we're going to be looking at the question, why is the church important? And it's part two. And so what's unique about this is um, uh, tonight, Tim Chase is going to come speak. You can give him a round of applause. All right. And, uh, and he is going to um, walk through what we call church history. Okay. And so what's amazing is the church that where we're at today, the church has been around for a long time. And so it's going to be really cool, um, and we should definitely pray for him because he has to pack 2,000 years of church history in 35 minutes, okay? So um, hopefully you can give him your attention, and hopefully you can get excited about the fact that the same God who's with the disciples is the same God who's leading us today in this church, okay? And so we're going to look at why the church is important. Well, the church has been around for a long time, and guess what? Spoiler alert. It's going to be around for a long time, all right? So give it up one more time for Mr. Tim Chase. All right. Hey, everybody. How are we doing tonight? Uh, adequate. Okay. All right. So how many of you, when you heard the word history, were like, yes, this is the best night ever? Okay, a couple of you. And how many of you were like, oh, my gosh, this is just facts about dates and dead people and this is going to be boring how many of you are like that all right some of you okay that's okay you know that's all right i know this is not everyone's favorite subject okay but i hope that uh i can you all can keep track with me now over the last two years things have changed a lot haven't they all right so things that were one way like three years ago may not be the same today, right? Okay, Brandon, you can put up that first picture. All right, how many of you have heard of Blockbuster? Okay, that actually surprises me. You know, when I was when I was a kid, the cool thing to do on Friday night was to go to Blockbuster. You'd pick out a movie. At that time, it was a VHS. A VHS, a tape. Not a disc, not a DVD, but a tape. Please be kind, rewind. And, uh, and then you would, you would rent it for the weekend and uh, watch it as much as you wanted to and then take it back. But you guys know how many, how many blockbusters are still around? There's one. There's one in Oregon, and that's it. All right. Now, this is, this is something that you all should, should know about. Wi-Fi. All right, how many of you have Wi-Fi? All right. Yeah, it's pretty prevalent today. Wi-Fi, 4G, 5G, you know, DSL, you know. But when I was a kid, this is how we got onto the internet. Go ahead, Brandon. Oh yeah, it's connecting. Okay, it, it, it's not quite there yet. All right, it's oh, it's trying. Oh, it's almost there. Yes, yes, it's going. Yes. All right. That is the noise of a dial-up modem. You actually had to have a phone line to get on the Internet, and it was slow. Okay, I think Wi-Fi 
like a quarter of the speed or less actually probably uh, so that was that was the internet when I was a kid. Obviously, it's a lot better now, right? So that's a good thing. All right, so you may be asking, why church history? Why does it matter, right? Okay, you can say, Mr. Tim, why church history and why does it matter? Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Derek. I'm really glad that you asked. All right. Why does it matter? All right. Remember, the church is... God's instrument for showing his relationship with mankind to the world and for preaching the gospel to the world through us, right? We're, we're his instruments. We're here to preach the good news and share, uh, share Jesus with others, right? That's what we've been called to do. So what I hope that you guys and ladies will see tonight is that God has used ordinary men and women throughout history to do extraordinary things. Because I guarantee you that the people that we talk about tonight didn't, weren't, didn't come out of the womb and said, yes, I'm going to be this awesome person that's going to do all this crazy stuff and everyone's going to remember me in 1,500 years. I guarantee you that was not their thought process. So, first off, let's take a look at the early church. So, oh, okay, yeah, there we go. Uh, oh, it brings us to where we are today. The struggles we face are different, but no less difficult than what they faced. All right, so go ahead, to, go ahead, Brandon. All right, so we, we see two things immediately before Jesus leaves, okay? It's called the Ascension. Is anybody familiar with that? Okay, the Ascension is when Jesus left. So in Matthew twenty eight twenty, we see... Uh, oh, sorry, twenty-eight, eighteen to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And go ahead, Brandon, to the next one. And then also in Acts one eight, Jesus says to them, But you will receive power, and the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he, basically he leaves them with two, two commands. Now, there's, there are more, obviously, but we're going to focus on these two tonight. The first being that we are to be his witnesses. So you know what an ambassador is? An ambassador goes to another country and represents your, that country to that other country. That's what we are called to be, his witnesses. We are called to be a witness for Christ to the world around us. And we are also called to make disciples. All right? So I want you guys to keep those two thoughts in mind. Make disciples, be witnesses. All right? And I want you to th think about that as we look at what go happens in the early church. We're going to skip over about 200 years, and we're going to look at one snapshot in 325 AD, and then we're going to fast forward another almost 1,200 years, because this is 2,000 years of history that we're talking about, and I have 35 minutes and not a college semester. All right, so very shortly after Pentecost, Pentecost, that's the day that when, when the Holy Spirit was received by the disciples, right? 
So what happens? All right. A lot of people come to, come to faith in Jesus, and then they start to face some opposition from, uh, from, the, ruling, from the ruling people, from Rome. And, uh, and so immediately in Acts 4, Peter and John are arrested and put before the council. And then in Acts 5, the high priest had the, all of the apostles arrested. And then in Acts 7, Stephen is stoned to death. Acts 8, Saul, who actually uh, was there when Stephen was, was uh, executed, uh, is, per, is per, uh, sorry, he persecutes the church in Acts 8, 1 to 3. This is before he be, becomes the apostle Paul. Uh, then the Jews seek to kill Saul for preaching the gospel, so his, his life changed between Acts 8, 3 and 9, 23. Uh, then James is killed, and Peter is arrested in Acts 12. Go ahead, Brandon. Oh, is that, oh, that is all that I had there. Goodness gracious. All right. So, obviously, they face persecution, right? But as they face persecution, many people came to Christ. You can look back at those passages, and I would encourage you to read the book of Acts at some point, and you'll see that after these, these occurrences, a great number of people come to Christ. And in fact, you know, they started in Jerusalem, and then the gospel started to spread because of persecution. They were forced to move out from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. All right, so now what, what happened to the apostles? To be honest with you, some of this is conjecture. We don't entirely know. Some of this is just based on, on tradition. Um, this isn't like today where, you know, you can go on Wikipedia and you're like, oh, look, look, um, yeah, that person did this and this is what happened to them. So uh, James the Great, who is, yeah, we saw in Acts 12, I think it was, uh, uh, they believe he was beheaded. And then Philip uh, was imprisoned, flogged, and crucified in Heliopolis. Matthew was executed in Ethiopia. James the Less was stoned to death. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Edessa, uh, which is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down, which actually would prolong his death. Uh, next slide, please. And Jude was crucified in Edessa. Bartholomew was beaten and crucified in India. Uh, Thomas was run through with a spear in India. Simon was crucified in Britain. And then this poor last guy, John, was boiled alive, survived, and then was banished to the island of Patmos, which is where he wrote the book of Revelation. And uh, he was the only apostle to die a nonviolent death. So all these guys died for, died of, died for their faith and um, suffered greatly for their faith. All right? You guys tracking with me so far? I know we're, we're moving pretty fast here, so that, that's all right. So now, after the apostles left... Or were taken to heaven. We'll, we'll say that. They were taken to heaven. Um, they raised up people to follow them. All right? They trained people, and they followed them. So we're going to progress now for about 200 years, 225 years. And unfortunately, false teaching has crept, starts to creep into the church. And these are some of the th- teachings that that crept in. The first one is... Go ahead, Brandon. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Nerves. All right. What is our theme? It's deeply rooted, right? And this is our, this is our theme, theme passage, Colossians 2, 6 through 8. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See, this is why church history is important, because you'll see in time that things creep up, they get answered, they go away, and then unfortunately they kind of come back. So go ahead to the next slide. The Nicene Council, all right? So councils were, were ways that the, that the early church answered questions that would come up. Okay, now we're going to look at the first major one. There were, there were a lot of others, but again, this is just kind of a quick snapshot. So go ahead, Brandon. So between the death of, even before the death of John, up until this point, some false teaching creeps into the church. So the first one is called Gnosticism. Uh, it is the belief that the physical is evil and only the spirit is good. Uh, the word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. It also believed that you had to learn the secret knowledge to get closer to God. Uh, another one is Marcionism. Uh, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are not the same. And uh, that Jesus wasn't actually human. He, uh, Marcionism also taught that uh, they basically ripped the Old Testament out of the Bible and uh, said it didn't belong there. Uh, Arian, and then Arianism, which is what we're going to look at here at the Nicene Creed, uh, denied the deity of Christ. So, the Council of Nicaea met in 325 AD in, in Nicaea, which is modern-day Iznik in Turkey. Uh, it was actually called by Emperor Constantine. He was the first Christian emperor of the Roman Empire. Excuse me. Um, where was I? Yes. Okay. So, uh, and it was called because of this question raised by this gentleman named Arius. So, they allowed Arius to step, so the council was made up of leaders from the church, what we would call bishops, okay, from different regions in the church, and, uh, or actually the empire at the time. And uh, so they, they, they got together, they allowed Arius to speak and give his position, which is that Jesus was not eternal, that he was a created being, and therefore was not divine. So let me ask you, how would you feel if you were sitting there listening to someone talk about Jesus and say that they weren't God, that, that he wasn't God, that he was a created being, and then therefore, you know, you can kind of think whatever you want about him, right? You'd be kind of upset, right? Who would be upset? All right, who would be mad? Okay, good. So there, one gentleman uh, watching this is from Myra, which is in Turkey. Uh, it's, there is no modern city in Turkey, but um, he was the bishop of Myra, and he would stand up as Arius was talking, and he walked across the room and slapped him in the face. I'm not, I, now, I don't recommend doing that, 
Uh, I think that is an example of something we probably shouldn't do. Um, but uh, I'm going to sh share a little bit about this guy. See, um, now because he slapped Arius in the presence of the emperor, he was put in jail because that was against the law to strike someone in front of the emperor. But the emperor, instead of punishing him, decided to let the other bishops decide what his punishment should be. So he was stripped of his robes, and he was put in prison for the night. And he would eventually would be reinstated and allowed to maintain his bishopship. Uh, and <clears throat> but he was also known for a couple things. He was known in his region for giving gifts to kids and paying the dowries for poorer women. Now, a dowry is something that a woman's family would pay to the husband, uh, her future husband, for taking care of her uh, financially. So, does anybody have any idea who this guy is? You've actually seen memes of this guy. Yeah, Luna? Yes, St. Nicholas. Go ahead and put that up there. Yep. He was there to give presents to kids and punch heretics, and he ran all out of presents. All right. So now we're going to move on to the Reformation. And I know, I'm sorry, we're moving really fast here, but uh, we got to. So, almost 1,200 years later, the church finds itself in a difficult situation once again. So, there was some false teaching, again, that started to creep into the church. Uh, they started to sell what were called indulgences. And see, what an indulgence was, was a way to get yourself to pay to get yourself into heaven. Okay, they believed that when you died, that you went to this place called purgatory. And purgatory is where you paid off the penalty for your sin. You worked it off. Okay? And you could pay for an indulgence, which would get you out of purgatory and into heaven faster. Or you could also pay for a loved one who had passed on. You could pay an indulgence for them to get them out of purgatory and into heaven faster. Okay? So salvation was becoming works-based, and church tradition was taking the place of the authority of Scripture. All right? October 31st. What holiday do we celebrate on October 31st? Halloween. Okay. There's another holiday that is celebrated on October 31st. Does anybody want to hazard a guess? Miss Wet. Well, that, All Saints Day is actually November 1st. Yeah, go for it. Never mind. All right. It's also called Reformation Day because on October 31st, 1517, a young monk would take 95 theses, and a theses is a statement, so he took 95 statements, and he tacked them onto the door of the church in Wittenberg. So you can go ahead to the next slide. So this is Martin Luther. How many of you have heard of Martin Luther before? Okay. All right, yep. Yeah, Martin Luther King was actually named after this guy, okay? So Martin Luther was a monk. Obviously, a monk is a gentleman who has devoted his life to the church, but who isn't a priest. Uh, he originally started out to be a lawyer. He was studying law. And then one night, he got caught in a thunderstorm and was terrified. Uh, he thought he was going to die. And so he cried out to God, and he said, God, if you spare me, I will serve you for the rest of my life. So God spared him. And shortly thereafter, much to his father's chagrin, 
his father was not happy about this, but he entered into the monastery and became a monk. And then he would actually go on to be a professor of theology at Wittenberg University in Wittenberg, Germany. And during his studies of theology, he started to realize that there were some, you know, there were some, there were some issues in what's being taught. You know, um, we're kind of starting to stray a little bit from, from what Jesus and the apostles were teaching, okay, and what the early church was teaching. So now do you think Martin Luther wanted to burn the world down, watch it burn, and just start his own thing, or do you think he wanted to reform the church? Okay, who votes for watching the world burn? Nobody, well. And who votes for reforming the church? Okay, yes. He did not intend to start his own church. He intended to reform the church. Now, he was going up against hundreds of years of tradition at this point. And there's a lot of power involved in that, too, because the church had risen to a, to a point where the church was actually a little bit ahead of the government, okay? Because the government looked to the church for permission to do things. And so people in the church, some leaders in the church, felt kind of threatened by, by this. So he was, um, the term is excommunicated. What excommunicated means is that you were kicked out of the church. So how, how would you feel about that? That would not be, that would probably not be a pleasant feeling, right? All right, so he's kicked out of the church. The only reason he wasn't, probably one of the reasons he wasn't killed as a heretic is uh, he did have an influential government official, a German prince who spared his life. I'm sorry. And... Uh, kind of took him under his wing and protected Luther. And um, so Luther would go on to kind of, at this point, start his own church. Now also, there were, there were other young individuals in the church who, in convents and monasteries, who actually wanted to go along more with what Luther was teaching than with where they were. Now see, sometimes, as a young person, you would be given to the church because your family was either poor and they couldn't afford to feed you, and so you would become a monk or a nun, or your family was wealthy and they wanted the influ they wanted influence in the church, so they would give you to the monastery or the convent, and you'd become a monk or a nun. So some of these people didn't really want to be there, so he would help them help them leave. He would. Um, he helped many of the young women find husbands because at that, unfortunately at that point in time, an unmarried woman had no uh, really way of supporting herself. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, that's just a, a point of fact in that time of history. So he would arrange marriages for them. And so that's actually how he met his wife because he intended not to be married. He intended to stay single. And then... Uh, the lovely Katerina von Bora came into his life. He could not find a suitable suitor for her. He couldn't find a man to marry her. And, uh, and then she said, It's you. I'm marrying you. And it took a little bit of convincing, but he agreed 
and they would spend the rest of his life together. She would be his constant companion. She would um, take care of his children, raise her children. She would take care of the household, and she would support him financially. See, she would raise cattle and sell them for money and do some other other things that were not typical for a woman at the time to um, to support his ministry. And she would also take part in the theological discussions at their dinner table. Because, see, Luther would bring his students in, and they would discuss theology over the dinner table. All right, so that brings us... Oh, yes, a couple more things. Sorry, I have it all up here, and it's sometimes it's hard to get it out. All right, so we talked about him holding sessions in his home. Uh, a couple other things that Luther would do is he would write hymns. Whoever, how, ugh, I'm sorry, how many of you have heard of Gregorian chant? Okay, some of you. Well, that was music at the time. All right, uh, how many of you have heard the hymn "A Mighty Fortress"? Guess who wrote that? Martin Luther. Right, it was in German, but he wrote A Mighty Fortress. And so he wrote hymns. He uh, also worked to translate the Bible into German. Because see, at that point in time, unless you were a priest or a monk or maybe a nun or in royalty, you couldn't read. And even if you could read, the Bible wasn't in a language that you might know because it was only in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. So he translated the New Testament into German and also got some other uh, Hebrew scholars to to translate the Old Testament for him. And then he encouraged people to read the Bible for themselves. So a couple other important figures at this time are um, Lengthen, Calvin, and Zwingli. Say that ten times fast. All right, so Philip Melanchthon uh, was a contemporary of Luther's. He would uh, go on to publish the first uh, work on doctrine. Now, doctrine is teaching. He would publish the first book on teaching of the Reformation. Uh, John Calvin. Many of you have probably heard of Calvinism. It is named after this gentleman. He was a pastor in the uh, city of Geneva. Now, the ironic thing about him is he was an academic, and he wanted to be an academic, uh, he did not want to be a pastor, but uh, he was called, and he submitted to that, and uh, he would write a lot. He wrote many commentaries on the Bible, on actually most of the books of the Bible, except for one or two. I believe Revelation was one that he didn't do. Uh, he also uh, published a work on doctrine, and then the guy on the end, Uruk Zwingli, it's a really tough name to pronounce. Um, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to. But um, but uh, anyway, so Ulrich Zwingli, that's a tough name to pronounce. Um, he was a priest, and like Luther, uh, he actually was a contemporary of Luther as well. He grew to disillusioned with the teachings of the church and realized that, you know, what we're teaching isn't necessarily the right stuff. And so he also would go to the leadership of the church and he would say, hey, I think we need to 
to work on some things here. And they would say, no, get lost. And so he got excommunicated as well. And so he would go to Zurich in Switzerland, and, uh, and he would be a pastor there. Uh, he was also known as being a warrior priest. Uh, he also fought for the city of Zurich. In fact, that is how he died, because um, forces from the church at the time actually attacked the city, and he would die in battle. So those are just a couple, a couple quick snapshots of people from the Reformation. Now, one important thing that comes out of the Reformation is called the five solas. How many of you have ever heard of the five solas? A couple of you? All right. Go ahead, Brandon. So the five solas, sola is Latin for alone. So all these phrases are translated here into English because I don't, I imagine most of you haven't studied Latin. So, uh, so faith alone. So salvation is only through Christ and only f- through faith in Jesus Christ. Scripture alone. The authority of Scripture is the only authority of our faith, not church tradition, Scripture. Christ alone. Christ is the only one that can atone for our sins. Grace alone. We can do nothing to earn our salvation. And then glory to God alone. God is the only one who deserves all praise and all glory. Okay? Any questions so far? Everybody's tracking? All right. I think I got everybody. Most everybody, anyway. All right. There is one more person that I want to talk to you about real quick in this section. And his name is Dirk Willems. So in the, later in the 1500s, uh, this gentleman, Dirk Wil- Willems, is from Holland. Uh, he is what we call an Anabaptist. Uh, an Anabaptist believed that uh, even though you were baptized as an infant in the state church, that you needed to be rebaptized upon uh, actually. Uh, giving your life to Christ, and as a public display of giving of faith. Uh, actually, Anabaptist means rebaptized. So, Dirk Willems was arrested, and he was charged with ha- holding secret meetings in his home that were contrary to the teachings of the state church, and for baptizing people in his home. So, it's it's crazy when you look at some of the stuff in church history, and you're like, why did they fight about this? But they did. Um, so he spent a couple months in prison, and he knew that he was going to actually be executed. So he cre- made a rope to escape from prison and threw it out the window and shimmied down the rope and started running. Now, he'd been in prison for quite a while, so he had actually lost a little bit of weight, Okay. And as he ran, he ran across a frozen pond. And he was light enough that he didn't break through the ice. Now, one of the guards saw him fleeing and gave chase. Now, the guard hasn't been spending time in prison, hasn't lost weight, and he's probably got some armor on, okay? So when he reaches the pond, he falls through and breaks through the ice. So he's in big trouble, right? He's going to freeze to death. So he cries out for help. Now, who do you think came back to help him? 
Dirk. Yep. As soon as he heard his cries, he stopped, turned around, and pulled the man who was chasing him to take him back to prison out of the water. Now, the guard actually was grateful for having his life spared, and he would have allowed Dirk to continue to escape. But um, you see those guys up there on the, on the shoreline there? One of them was the mayor of the town, and he looked at the guard and said, if you don't arrest him, I'll have you arrested too, and both of you will be in prison. So um, unfortunately for Dirk, he wasn't allowed to escape, and uh, he would then actually be burned at the stake. So, but imagine, that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus didn't leave us hanging, right? He came down. He paid the penalty for our sin. Dirk could have kept running. But I think he's a great example to us of what Jesus would ask us to do. And that is to go back and save the person that's coming after us, right? All right. So, obviously, this is a quick synopsis, a quick overview of 2,000 years of church history. And there's a lot that we didn't cover. Um, but I hope that you guys can see the benefit of the sacrifices that the people before us have made. Because if it wasn't for them making those sacrifices that they did, we may not be sitting in your, you may not be sitting in these chairs and I may not be up here. Okay? So we don't know the impact that we are going to make with our lives. And I, I think I have a, enough time to tell this story too. Um, it's not up there, but um, Edward Kimball was a man who lived in the late 18, in the 1800s. He was a Sunday school teacher, and one of the one of the people who attended his Sunday school class, his name was Dwight Moody. How many of you have heard of Dwight Moody? Okay, a couple of you. All right. Edward Kimball would walk into the shoe store where Dwight Moody worked. And he would share the gospel with Dwight Moody. And Dwight Moody would choose to follow Christ that day. And Dwight Moody would go on to lead, to lead revivals throughout the country. Even starting a school, which we know today as the Moody Bible Institute. And through the, the Moody Bible Institute, other men would be trained and they would preach the gospel. One man who heard the gospel from someone who was trained at Moody Bible Institute is a gentleman named Billy Graham. How many of you have heard the name Billy Graham? Okay, a lot more, a lot more hands have come up. So think of this. Edward Kimball was faithful to what God called him to do, right? He led someone to Christ. And then think of the impact that that had. Okay? Just ripple effect. You know, ripples on a pond. All right, so obviously we face a lot of challenges. Um, false teaching. There's, so, there's false teaching and social pressure. Who feels social pressure in the room, okay, to, to conform to what society wants, right? So we can look back at their examples and see, see their faithfulness in following Christ, and we can, you know, maybe some things we could do better, you know, maybe Slapping those we disagree with isn't the best way to go about it. Um, I apologize. There is an error up here. Um, the scripture is actually not Ephesians 5.20. It's Ephesians 3.20. 
Uh, imagine what – now consider who can do more than you can ask or imagine, that God. Um, but one thing I want to leave you with is finding a mentor. Uh, Titus 2 talks about uh, mentorship. And so what that looks like is I want you to think of someone older, uh, guys, that would be an older gentleman, uh, ladies, that would be an older lady, not necessarily an old lady or an old, old man, but someone older than you who has traveled life a little bit longer than you that you can learn from. You know, it could be someone you look up to because they did the job that you're looking to do and they're a Christian and you want to learn how to uh, glorify God doing that job. Or it could just be, you know, whatever. Somebody who has a skill that you want to learn and you want to learn how to use that skill for God. And then I want you to think about this. Someone younger than you that you can take alongside you and as you're being mentored, you can mentor them. Because that, ladies and gentlemen, is how we... Um, we pass on to those who will come after us what needs to be passed on. All right? So let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for who you are, Lord. And I just pray for everyone here, Lord, that we get to uh, that we grow closer to you, we get to know you better, Lord, and that we learn how to serve you uh, in ways that we can only ask or imagine. And God, I also pray for, for the world right now because things are crazy and messed up. And God, you are the only answer to, to what ails the world, God. And I just pray for the people of Ukraine, Lord, that you would be working in that situation, that the gospel would be preached, that your name would be honored and glorified. In your name, amen. All right, can we thank Tim again for preparing for tonight? All right, so at this time,